So have you ever been to a networking event, maybe in person or digital, depending on where you are right now, and you told someone asked you, what do you do? And the response you gave just made them look like you spoke it in Swahili. Well, then listen up for today's podcast. We're going to teach you how to write a better elevator pitch. Let's dive in. Welcome to Storytelling Secrets. This is the podcast for coaches, consultants, and course creators who want to unlock their core stories and use their stories to sell more online. It's a place to master persuasion and influence so you can build a deep relationship with your audience. And it's a place where real-world marketing strategies, tips, and lessons are shared freely. If that interests you, then you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Jules Dan, and I've battled my way from being a broke group fitness instructor to a full-time, in-demand, freelance email copywriter. Now, I'm ready to get to work. Follow along on my journey as I share my everyday hard-won lessons. I'm Jules Dan, and this is Storytelling Secrets. All right, let's get straight into today's guest. My guest today is Erica Mills Barnhart. Now, she is a legit marketing professor at the University of Washington. She's also the podcast host of the Marketing for Good podcast, and she's the CEO of Claxon Marketing. Now, Erica helps uh, organizations unleash their potential by using the power of words. So, she's a consulting firm that works with clients on a mission on a mission to change the world. So, she works with a lot of non-for-profits, um, organizations, um, but also also for-profit organizations too, but people with, with a mission, you know, getting who want to change the world for good, that sort of thing. That's why a podcast is called Marketing for Good. And on today's podcast, a little accompaniment, a little gift to go with uh, what we're talking about today is elevated pitches. She's got a, uh, something called pitch, Pitchfalls, Why Bad Pitches Happen to Good People. And so I'm going to leave that below in the show notes so you can grab that. But other than that, enjoy my conversation today with Erica Mills Barnhart. Hey, welcome back to Storytelling Secrets. I'm here with Erica Mills Barnhart and she's from the Marketing for Good podcast. And we're going to be talking a few different things about storytelling, a few things about specifically storytelling. And I want to get um, talking about the pitch. So that's really interesting. Um, heaps of different areas can go down today. Erica, so glad you joined me here today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Just just so uh, my audience can just sort of get a grasp of who you are, could you give us a bit of the Cliff Notes backstory of Erica and how you sort of got to where you are today? <laughs> you know, I get that question a lot and I really need to come up with a better answer. Um, Let's do it. Because it's not like a, you know, I don't know what's going to happen today. Uh, I've always loved words and I grew up and I and everyone else assumed I would be a lawyer. Um, and then I worked for lawyers and I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, so then I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up. Um, and just, you know, over the course of years, found myself doing things related to marketing and communications, always in the space of sort of social impact and making the world a better place. Um, and worked in house a little bit, but have been a practitioner and consultant for, you know, 16, 17 years working with mission driven clients. Mm-hmm. Gates Foundation, the UN Foundation, Microsoft Philanthropies, you know, so ones that folks have heard of and then some really teeny tiny ones that folks haven't heard of, which is they're equally as fun. Um, and then I'm also an associate teaching professor uh, at the University of Washington, where I teach courses on marketing uh, and also nonprofits and philanthropy and social innovation. 
So that's the deal. I think deep thoughts and do you work in that space? <laughs> you think deep thoughts. I think I get stuck in that sort of space as well. And, and one of those deep thoughts um, that you got me thinking about was at the start, you, you're talking about the difference between uh, unconscious and subconscious storytelling. Did I quote that correctly? Well, I think I was talking about subconscious and, you know, whether or not you want to talk about subconscious or unco- you know, the unconscious mind and then the yep. conscious mind and kind of the, the interplay between those two and how it relates to storytelling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's go down that road. Um, I'm very, very fascinated by what, what, what that actually is. I have no idea what the differences are. So uh, I'm not a brain scientist, but I, you know, I know, so I know a little bit, so I don't want listeners to like take this as gospel, you know, um, but at a very high level, you know, we, when we say the mind, most of us, we're thinking about our logical mind, which is the conscious mind. Um, and oftentimes in marketing, you know, the focus is on like, how can we get people's attention and, and you know, rightfully so to a certain extent. But that part of our mind, you know, as best as researchers and folks who think about this now is actually only four to 5% of the brain. Um, and actually there's about nine, let's, let's, let's just use 95 and 5%. So 95% of our brain, if you think of your brain, like a, like a you know, like this, yep. 95% of it, we don't think about, we don't access, we don't nothing like, but it's there, right? So this is like our subconscious mind is processing everything, millions of things per second. Our conscious mind is like the tip of the iceberg. That's like actually what we can what, what we can see and easily access. That's like five percent of our brain. That part of our brain can simultaneously be thinking about only nine things. So if you think about the gajillion things that are happening yep. in the world, our brain is taking that in, but we just are not we're not accessing it, right? And then there's the unconscious, like we don't think I should blink. Let's blink. I should move my hand, right? So all of those are sort of controlled um, in that same space. So what's important in terms of a storytelling perspective is we're telling ourselves stories all the time, right? You know, all of us know this, we go through the day, we're telling us, you know, ourselves stories, whether or not they're good, bad, you know, we can talk about that too. We have our thoughts and the thoughts you string together and those thoughts become stories. So when people are thinking about storytelling, you know, one thing that's lost is you're always telling two stories. You're, You're telling the story that's coming out of your mouth and that story makes sense to you. It's a different story, um, how it lands for whoever hears it or reads it or whatever, because of what's going on in their mind. Um, so there's what you're saying and there's what's heard. And those are by definition going to be different because of this, you know, 95% of our brain that is subconscious and is different. Uh, so, you know, there's similarities, but it's also differences for each of us. Um, but the cool thing about the subconscious mind, is, it also is that, uh, you know, the vast majority of buying decisions happen in the subconscious mind. So really we just rationalize what we've already decided. <laughs> um, and the subconscious mind is actually a really good decision maker. Like in all the, res- you know, the research that, that, you, that you see, it's a really good decision maker because, and it, that makes sense. If you think about it, it is, right? Processing a gajillion things. So it's factoring in so much more than our conscious mind, which can only by definition factor in a few things and they're very logical, right? Mm-hmm. So the decision making process that we think happens is really not, not what happens in our brain. Um, that's just a nice little story that we tell our rational selves. Um, so it's worth thinking about as you're sort of crafting story, like, you know, what's going on in somebody's subconscious mind? Am I making assumptions about that? Is there a way to tap into that? Because we know that you can be priming the subconscious over time um, to sort of help somebody get to a buying decision or an engagement decision. So um, I think all that stuff's really fascinating and 
uh, as we're learning more and more, I think it'll be something that folks can put into action. It's yep. been sort of very theoretical for a long time. And like, we're just getting to a place where I think we have a passing shot at mere mortals like you and I um, putting that into, into practice. Yeah, I really want to follow up on something you said. Maybe I didn't interpret correctly. Did you say that, the let's just say the words you used in a story and the way you say it, I don't know if it was in text form or in audible, like if I said it to you in person, but it'd be perceived differently depending on what is going on in the person's mind. So, and that translates, I'm maybe guessing in tonality and body language and some other things. All of it. It actually doesn't matter if it's, if you're reading it or hearing it or, you know, they're just different cues. Then we can, actually, we can play this out in real time. Like I just told you, it wasn't like a fascinating story. It was a story about the subconscious and conscious mind, but I told you things and my version of them was one version and you received them differently because of what's in your mind and what's going on in your mind. And that's what's happening constantly. Uh, but we kind of lose sight of that from a storytelling perspective really quickly. Like still in my mind, I'm like, but I told this, but I told the story. Well, you heard a different story. <laughs> I guess I just didn't hear it. Uh, just interpreting something new for the first time. I don't know. My, my teachers always told me at school, Julian, I need to tell you 10 times before you understand. I'm like, I just learned differently. All right. But uh, jokes aside. Um, so Maybe, you said, yeah, you just, you do. So what we all do, yeah. I mean, the reason that I don't think you misinterpreted it at all, like it's new information. So it has to like find the file folder in your brain for new information. And those file folders might be different for you because of your, you know, lived experience and they would be for me than they would be for somebody else. It's going to be different for each one of us. But I think another thing that's really important that will sound so basic, like our brains really are hardwired wired for survival. So our brains are trying to mitigate uncertainty. They are trying to keep us safe. And at a really fundamental level, this is their core competency. Everything else, you know, the prefrontal cortex, our decision-making, all of that is like very new from an evolution standpoint, that is like super new part of our brain. And when, it, when push comes to shove, our brains are their, you know, their, their core thing and it is to protect us and to keep us safe. So they're looking, they're trying to make sense of things. They are looking for patterns. Uh, and this is partly why when we hear stories, if there are facts in the story that don't align with a narrative that we have in our minds, uh, we are very quick to dismiss them because they don't fit. And that feels threatening to our brain. And so we dismiss them. Yep. So that's, that's the million dollar question then. So this is what you help with brands. And you said, this is what you said that um, this is still maybe st starting in theory, but you guys are just transitioning to actually make it practical. And you, I just want to touch on before you said you did something to prime people to accept the story or, and even you just said before, someone might interpret it and then might not have everything in their minds and just disregard that story as not aligned for them. So how would you, if you were writing, say like, I don't know, some sort of brand message to convey to an audience that like there is empathy that they do understand mm -hmm. that, that is all the, the little checks, check, like check boxes yeah. in, the, in the audience's mind. They're like, okay, this person's okay. safe. I can believe what they're saying. Well, so this is the thing is that you don't necessarily know. So this is why doing like personas and like really trying to understand both your current audiences and then also your potential uh, audiences is so important is because you were trying to learn as much as you can about like, what are those boxes? Oftentimes we don't even know what the boxes are. 
And these, and the reason we don't know is because these things start like our, our associations with things, whether or not it's, you know, it, you know, I was, I was talking to Leslie Zane yesterday of Triggers. She does some fascinating research um, on, she sort of extrapolated human connectomes in our brain to this idea of a brand connectome and like the real estate that uh, organizations, brands and companies have in our brains really start when we're young. So I'll give you an example, um, yep. Leslie and I were talking about. Uh, between Coke and Pepsi, I am a Coke person. If I'm going to drink a soda, which is like twice a year, because I just, I, I, don't, I don't judge, I just, I'm just a huge soda person, but I tell you, it's going to be a Diet Coke. And probably part of the reason it's going to be a Diet Coke is because my mom drank Diet Coke. So mm -hmm. I grew up in a Diet in a Coke family and specifically a Diet Coke family. The idea that I would drink Pepsi is very weird to me because I don't have any, and with Pepsi, I actually don't have anything positive or negative. I just don't have a connection. And so because I grew up drinking Diet Coke when I was going to drink a soda, I'm primed to be predisposed to like Coke. So Coke doesn't have to work as hard to get me as a customer. So, so, so the art and the science of putting this into action is trying to find out as much as you can about people's backstories and what they're going to tick. But what you know for sure is that you want your messaging to make people feel safe. And especially right now with, you know, global pandemic and, yep, in, you know, yep. the United States, we have another pandemic around racial reckoning that is happening. Um, so there's, there's a lot of danger feelings and the rest of it. So we're already kind of heightened in that way. And so what can you do to build trust? Um, and, and this is, and this is where repeat exposure is really important, right? Like, it's not just one time, it's how are you building that, that rapport and that relationship and really truly the mind share over time. And that's where, I mean, it's tough. It's tough because you have to be, it's a long game. And increasingly one of the things that really troubles me about marketing is like, it's like data and course correction right away and this and that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's important. I'm not saying it's not important, mm -hmm. but I do worry that it is getting an amount of attention that is dis disproportionate to the amount of impact that it in fact has. So, so like you can course correct at the margins, but if you're not fundamentally tapping into like people need to feel safe, yeah. um, then you're kind of missing that doesn't matter how much course correcting you do at the margins. Exactly. And, and, and on this, on this topic of feel, by making people feel safe, one of the things that I love to do is I love primary research, which means just getting in dirty with the, my customers, customers, and just getting on the phone and talking to them. Um, so and I always like to just bring the barriers down before I just sort of make, make them feel safe and then get to the deep, dark secrets. But yeah, curious to know, cause I, I read on your LinkedIn, how you really enjoy primary research too, and you enjoy getting on calls and getting to know people. Um, so what are some, you got any tips to my audience on, you know, if they were to get on a phone call with their customers, how would they, how would you be able to, you know, uncover the subconscious mind so you can check off those I'm safe with this person boxes. I would say it, it, this depends a little bit on, you know, like how, how personal are the questions going to be that you're asking them? And that would depend on like what product or service you're trying to learn about more. Um, so if it's going to be like, you know, you're, if, if you need to build high trust, I would say upfront, you need to take the time to really connect. Right. So I ask questions and even when I'm like doing a keynote, Right. Like I very commonly am going to do, you know, start with a show of hands and I'm going to ask things like how many people are coffee people versus tea drinkers. 
Mm. Uh, when I'm a tea drinker. So I just kind of like to know who my people are in the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I ask things like, do, you know, do you have a cat? Do you have a dog? You know, do you have pets? Where do, you know, if I'm going to be on the phone with somebody, uh, like in the scenario you're talking about, you know, where did they grow up? Do they have siblings? And you're listening both for the content, but also the like emotion behind it. So if you ask about siblings and there's a long pause, I don't know. You know, if you're, if you know, if you have your interview protocol and there's a question that, that is down, you know, about siblings or family, you're probably going to want to handle that a little more compassionately, even, even more so than you would have otherwise. Right. Um, and again, like it depends on what, what type of interview protocol you have and whether or not you're doing long format or short format or whatever, but I do a lot of content analysis. Um, so in the interview, I try to know my, my questions so well that I can mainly just be paying attention, um, to, to body language, to the extent that you can get the body language and be, you know, noting that because then you can go back and map it against the, the words themselves. And then I, you know, for my research, I'm going to be looking at actual words and, and I do, I do a uh, fewer individual stakeholder sur surveys or interviews and I do more um, surveys. So larger, you know, larger samples as it were. Um, uh, and so then I'm looking at content analysis and literally the number of words that come up. Uh, and what, and actually I look at like what form they're in. So is it a verb, is it an adjective, is it a noun? Um, because what I'm trying to do is I build, so I deconstruct or reconstruct. Um, so most people try to like, if you're thinking about copy, you think about writing sentences. Mm -hmm. um, I never write a sentence straight. When I'm first starting to work with a client, we are literally gonna talk about like what verb best represents the organization. And then, you know, try to get external information. And again, usually, just the way I happen to do it is by a survey. Um, and, and, and talking to people is you actually gives you a much richer um, sense of things and you can pay attention to body language. So it's just the pros and cons of different, different um, research methods uh, for sure, which we can get on that if you want and if listeners care about those things. Um, but I think getting back to your question, it's like, it really does come back to compassion and empathy. Absolutely. I mean, that's, those are the key things with trust. And there's all sorts of technique things, you know, there, there's like speaking short sentences. If you speak in super long sentences, people trust you less. So there's some like technique things um, in that regard. Uh, but, but really, I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. I think it's about true compassion, true empathy. Do you really want to learn what they have to tell you? Because then you're going to be attentive, um, differently attentive than if you're sort of like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's all, all making sense. Um, uh, main reason why I was ask, I was asking is because um, I'm just curious in in other people's methods and in how they interview people. Because some people are strictly like, why do I need to do that when I can just go to forums? But then you would argue like, why wouldn't you just get on a call with someone? Because you can, like you said, you pick up these body language cues. You can really, I, I've never heard anyone say we would pinpoint the first verb that we use that matches the organization. That's pretty interesting. Um, but it all makes sense, you know, because verbs are action words. And speaking of action exactly, words. Exactly, Julian. Thank you. <laughs> They're the superheroes of every sentence. <laughs> Someone's passionate about verbs. I love verbs. Yeah. <laughs> I love verbs. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's just say you're writing, because I know in your in your thing, um, in the little uh, your description you gave and you said, we're going to talk about pictures if that's all right. Um, why bad pictures happen to good people. Yeah. So, so would some, would you get very clear, would the first two words be a verb or, or just like, 
would you open up with something just like hard hitting or like tell me what goes what is it what would be a bad pitch and then how how would you correct that to make it more memorable more more persuasive so the type of pitches here for here's a visual this is what the itsy bitsy pitch falls book looks like you know it's just like a little pocketbook and i did it like that on purpose because people tend to get really intimidated by the idea of an elevator pitch which makes sense because like if you have to do you know like go from like knowing somebody to closing the deal in an elevator ride that's super creepy um so a lot of folks tend to avoid it and yet the question that you know we're gonna get all the time is like what do you do um however how you respond to that actually does depend on context and it depends on the brand personality of the individual if you're you know if you're solo pro or whatever or the company or organization. And so that's, you know, where like this, the, uh, some of the underlying work that I do with, with my clients is around articulating values and then brand personality. Values are nouns, brand personalities, um, adjectives. <laughs> so, you know, it's your thing, like, should you be hard hitting? I think that, you know, that would really depend. Like, is your company a hard hitting company? Do you want somebody to walk, and be, walk away and be like, wow, they, wow. they just really get to the point. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, you know, yeah, you know, I don't know what, like a naturopathic doctor, hard hitting may or may not. Yeah. Hit or the some counseling service. You probably don't want to be so hard hitting. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You do. So, so the, so the things that, that I think are, are sort of categorically true, you do want it to be easy for people to remember and repeat. So, one of the big things, one of the pitfalls is that like we just go on and on and on and on. Um, and I really encourage folks to think about sequencing. Um, you know, like, I'm gonna say this, and then if they seem, seem interested, then we're gonna say this, and then we're gonna say this. Um, and not to, you know, because if you tell people you're everything, they remember nothing. Because they don't, you know, yeah. they don't know how to process could I, it. Could I just latch on here? So does that mean that when you're telling the pitch, you have almost like a decision matrix where it splits off, like, if they react like this, I will say this. If they don't do anything, I'll continue with, with what I was supposed to say. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And to be clear, this is an efficiency play. So let's just say someday we're all gonna get to go to networking events again in person. I mean, yeah, so we're not doing any of that. We, and we have it for a year. I don't know, but, you know, I don't know where all your listeners are. So um, if you're in a room yeah, and you have limited just keep time, virtual. yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if so, even if you're virtual, right? Like, so now we're doing networking virtually. Um, you know, you're trying to connect with people who care about whatever you care about or buy, you know, are going to buy whatever you have to sell. So if you have like a long pitch and you're like committed to the full thing. And like, if I was talking to you, Julian, and I start off by saying, yeah, America, you know, I'm a professor and practitioner of marketing for good. You know, if you were like, huh, like if I'm not getting any biofeedback, there probably isn't real reason for like, if my goal is to find people that, you know, I have commonality with, if you were like neutral to negative on it, why keep going? <laughs> you know, it's just so some of it is just purely efficient. And the other thing is like, if you have like a longer full pitch that you're fully wed to, and by longer, I mean like longer than three sentences. So I think, you know, you can have comfort with like, if, you know, you're, you'll probably hear me out for three sentences. Be, you know, and then you want to rest a beat and kind of like see kind of, you know, what yep. the feedback is, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we fear silence. So people are like, what if there's silence? It's like, great, there's silence. Then that's actually information for you. They're not, or they so didn't understand you, you know, it could be one of those two. Then you move on. 
So I was going to say, are those first three but, sentences but your, your, your idea, like the matrix? Oh yeah. Sorry. Continue. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's, I mean, yes, it's, it is your opportunity. And that's why short sentences, you know, not super long words that people could understand really limit your jargon, basically don't have any jargon, including acronyms. Um, just all the basics in that regard uh, will up your odds of people understanding you. And then, you know, whether or not they're interested or not is up to them. Could you give me a world-class pitch example that you've written for a client off by heart? <laughs> no. <laughs> and the reason for that is I work with a lot of clients yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I sort of do it and I get them really far along and then, you know, I, uh, and then I move on. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> then I move on. I will say, so one organization that always comes to mind for me, partly because they just do such, I mean, all, all the, all the organizations and clients I work with do cool work. Um, but one of them is called Splash. And so when I first started working with them, um, there is still their executive director, Eric Stowe is a very, Eric's so smart and he's so passionate. And this is like 12 or 13 years ago at this point, it's a long time ago. Um, and at the time they were actually called a child's right. Um, and so you know, somebody said, what does a child's right do? Eric would go into great detail about water and water sanitation and hygiene. And, you know, he sort of the, the technicalities of what they did. And so Fast forward a few years and, and now, and they still do this with great consistency. Um, if you say, what does Splash do? They say, we clean water for kids around the world. Okay. Yeah, if you're interested picture. in that, then, then they may go on to say like, oh, what is that? What do you mean you clean water for kids around the world? Well, we do it in urban areas where you, you kind of, in urban places where you expect water to be clean, like schools and hospitals, you know, places like that. Again, if somebody's interested, they're going to give you the body language that, that they're interested. And then they might go on to say something like, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. We actually clean water, you know, for over a million kids every single day throughout the world, especially in China and increasingly in, in countries in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really comes across that you're helping people with, say, a mission-based cause because I see a lot of people on data where it's just like, I help X do Y by achieving Z and um, can get a bit yeah. me too if you just hit, keep hearing that over and over and over. So is that why you recommend keeping that, that mission sort of, you've got your values in there. It's got that intrigue. So that's, that's when someone might be like, Oh, so then what do you mean by that? Is that how it all sort of, that's your framework? Yeah. And that, I mean, but that's true. Even if you're not cause driven, you know, so, you know, my clients, whether or not they're for, you know, I just did a bunch of work with Microsoft and one of their philanthropies teams. So clearly for profit, <laughs> um, but they have, you know, teams that are dedicated to making the world a better place in really specific ways. Um, so, but, but even if, you know, even if you're for profit and I mean, let's just say, so you just, you know, put out a podcast today, um, which was about coaches. So people who do coaching, yep. um, even, you know, so some coaches are maybe more transactional. The thing about that is, is like, if there's no, if there's no, if you don't create any intrigue, if there's no cognitive dissonance, there's no reason for people to answer the question. So our minds love questions, right? So if we go back to Splash and we say, we clean water for kids around the world. This like opens up a file folder in your brain. Yeah. Like, oh, where? Right. How do you, like, you How do you want do that? questions. That's the this first thing comes to my mind. thing that I... Yeah, how do you do that? And then, you know, if you're talking to Eric or, I mean, their staff is amazing. They're so amazing. Um, 
And he's gonna, you know, he's gonna go into it deep. Like he can talk to you about the filters and the filtration. Like he can go in that direction, or he could talk to you, you know, about you know a story about an individual kid and about the the hand, literally the hand washing and how that happens. And um, so it's like one of the ways that I that I encourage folks to think about it is like that one question that or that you know your answer to the question, what do you do? What are the questions you're gonna get to from there? And are those the questions you want to be answering? You know, so if I say I'm a professor and practitioner of marketing for good. Where are you, professor? I tell you. <laughs> People ask that. University of Washington, Evans School of Public Policy and Governance, right? Because it's, it's, so mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a practitioner? Right? I want those questions. And what, and what does marketing for good mean? And I, I mean, I want all those questions. Okay. So this is really good. So you've you clearly got some open loops. You've strategically yes, put, you've, you've put in that, instead of just, I do this by doing that, by <laughs> avoiding this or yes. this and that, like this little, little segments that people can go off on. And then that's where you sort of rope them in. I like it. Yeah. But still very understandable. You know, I think, I, I mean, I hope that some, that your listeners don't hear like, Oh crap, I have to create open loops. That sounds really complicated and cerebral. It's not. I mean, look at the two examples that we've just talked about splash cleans water for kids around the world. There is nothing fancy about that sentence. And yet it opens at least three loops. So that I, I would say for listeners, like is, um, well, pay attention to your verbs. <laughs> that's what I always say, one of the yep. things I always say. And just, just because we'll give you information about where, where you might want to go next. Um, and then what are the questions? And are those the questions you want to be getting? And the cool thing about pitches is that you can, you don't have to be super committed to them, right? You can play with them before you commit to them. Um, and the way that you play with them is by seeing what questions you, you get, literally, what, what do people ask? Do you get like nothing back or are you getting questions that you really want that lead to discussions that lead to sales or whatever you're looking for? Yep. Or are you getting questions you're like, oh no, 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 I don't actually want to talk to you about that. That's not where I thought we were going at all. Yep. So it's, so it's easy to, it's easy to validate and figure out what's working and what's not. Yeah. And to validate it, I'm going to guess you just, you go to a networking event, whether it's digital or not but you just, you just test it and just see what lands. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if you have multiple people in your organization, same old, same old. Um, and I literally am like, take a little notepad, write down the questions or like, mm. if you have a good memory, remember them because then you come back together as a team and compare notes. So, uh, and then you can see like, oh, okay. Are there themes in terms of the questions we're getting? Are those the questions we want? What tweaking do we need to do? So that, this is, I always optimize as much as possible, this isn't always possible, but when possible, I optimize for the elevator pitch first or that the, the verbal rendition of what the story is gonna be first. And because you don't have to be committed and you can play um, and get information and then you have the information. And, and then the other thing is like, we talk more casually than we write. So you can take your casual verbal version and yeah. then you can elevate it you know, if it needs to be elevated for, you know, the written word, uh, your websites, your sales sheets, your, you know, social, whatever it's going to be, um, it's much easier to go from casual to elevated. If you elevate, if you have to go here to here, it just feels really rotten. <laughs> like you've come up with this beautiful tagline or this beautiful, you know, sentence, and then somebody yeah. says it and they sound like a robot and it's all, it's all lost in translation. So. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Erica, I, I think this is, this is a best, best, you've left my audience with lots of, lots of great stuff, especially like the, the crafting your perfect, intriguing little pitch and then testing it in the field. 
Um, where's the best place for my audience to find you? And because um, I know you've got a podcast and you've got your own your own platform as well. So yeah, take it away. I, I mean, I would love it if listeners want to make the world a better place and make marketing a force for good and learn about that as it relates to, you know, a whole bunch of things, marketing for good um, podcasts, which you can find anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, that would be terrific. Uh, I'm at klaxonmarketing.com and on social media, I'm actually mostly on LinkedIn, which I know makes me sound like a dinosaur, but um, I'm on LinkedIn. Where... Well, Call good. I know I always tell my students, they're like, I don't want to be on LinkedIn. I'm like, well, if you want to get hired, you're going to be on LinkedIn. <laughs> I guess that's how that's working. It's just sort of a personal choice, <laughs> but professionally, that's the, that's the best place to find me. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Erica, for coming on to Storytelling Secrets. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to spend time with you and your listeners. That is it for today's episode. If you want to connect more with Erica, she mentioned her podcast, her LinkedIn, and a free gift about pitchfalls, why bad pitches happen to good people. So we're going to leave that just below in the show notes. Thanks for tuning into Storytelling Secrets this week. I'm Jules Dan. If you like the show, please review, please leave a please leave, please subscribe to the show. Uh, all reviews are read out on the show, so they. You, if you enjoy, if you get a value from this and you leave a review, you know, more people are going to see it. So that's it for me. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll see you Monday for the solo show. Bye.